Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. By faith, Rahab encountered God. The harlot Rahab. The harlot Rahab, or the prostitute, or listen closely, we're looking this morning at the faith of the sex worker Rahab. What an unlikely character to be featured here in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, we've had heroes like Abraham. We've had Joseph. We've had Isaac. We've had Noah. We all know Noah. But here at the, at the top and at the very bottom of the list here, there's a powerful point being made here. We're going to look at the faith of an unlikely character, the faith of Rahab. Now, how is it that a harlot comes to be included in the hall of faith? How does that happen? I think there's hope for all of us, first and foremost, that um, no matter what you've done or who you identify yourself to be because of sin and brokenness, you can be accepted by God. You can be included in God's good graces. Uh, But what a great picture. Now, here's a question you want to ask. How does this come to be? How does someone like a harlot get to be in the hall of faith? And the reason why uh, Rahab is included here in Hebrews 11, and actually a few other key places of scripture we're going to see, this prostitute, is because of an encounter that she had with the living God. And that's really it in a nutshell. The reason why we read about the faith of a harlot in Hebrews 11 is because somebody named Rahab Despite her background, despite her brokenness, she had the one thing that will change any and all of our lives, and that's an encounter with the living, reigning, true God of the universe. You know, there's some encounters in life that frankly don't change anything. They don't change anything. We have encounters with people on a daily basis, normal people, regular people, um, even maybe more significant people. I had an encounter Boca is a place you want to encounter some people, I'll tell you that. But I had an encounter with an NFL quarterback three weeks ago at the seed. The guns were there. He was in line behind me. I barely even remember his name. I think his name was Mitch something. Shows you how much I, I know about football. But he's behind me, and I'm chatting with him. And I don't know until I go outside that, that someone mentions, do you know who that was standing in line behind you? That was so-and-so, former quarterback, I guess, at the, the him. He was on this team and that team, and he's he's Mitch Trubisky, and that's his stats and everything. And so he's there in line behind me. I have no idea who he is. And wow, I just encountered this NFL quarterback. And I mean, it was cool. Like, that's cool. I get to say that right now. But it didn't change anything. I just got my coffee, and I went about my merry way. There's some some big encounters that, that don't change anything. Now, there's some encounters in life that change, we'll say, some things have a little bit more of an impact. I think of, um, we kind of had a, a boys' day yesterday. Me, Judah, my eight-year-old, and Roberto, my brother-in-law. The girls all headed up to Vero to see some family up there. Uh, got away with all the gals, and so the guys were kind of left with a blank slate of a guy's day. It was amazing. I kind of didn't know what to do with myself. Like, we can have fun and not worry about time. This is great. And so... First order of business was we need to go surfing. There was a little bit of waves, some wind chop. Um, And in our minds, it was like, this looks like how we're going to spend our day. That was until 
we got into the water and we had an encounter. Don't worry, it wasn't a shark, but it was the second worst thing you want to watch out for in South Florida uh, waters, a man of war. Okay, and they are men of war, I'll tell you. Okay, <laughs> poor Judah and Roberto, they got, they got it bad. I mean, Judah got lit up right here. I think it's good for him if he ever wants to get like a tattoo there, he can remember back and go, do I really want to do that? Like that hurt. <laughs> but, but we had an encounter with a massive man of war that just lit Judah's side up, Roberto as well, and that changed some things for our day. That encounter altered our day plans from being a day at the beach surfing to instead, unfortunately, as you pray for us, we had a day on the golf course instead. And so it was a really, really tough change of events. Um, some encounters that don't change anything. Some encounters that change something. And then maybe you see where I'm going here. Listen, there are some encounters or other encounters that change everything. Encounters that change everything. Everything. I wonder if this could be true of your own life in relationship with God. Encounters that you've had with God and his love and his grace and his presence and his truth. Encounters that have changed everything about you and your life and your eternity. Um, Rahab represents this story. The story of Rahab is a story of a woman who has an encounter with God. And it changes everything. It's an encounter in the form of two of his servants, two spies that show up in her homeland in Jericho. One, one thing that's really interesting about the story that we're going to look at here in one moment is that Rahab, what we see here, doesn't encounter God passively. It's not a passive encounter, kind of sitting on the couch, hanging out, and you just kind of encounter a knock at the door, kind of, and, and you kind of go, who's there? It's not this passive encounter. Encounter. What we see in this story with Rahab and her encounter with God is that she actively encounters God by faith. It's a really cool story. Uh, you could really say it this way. Write this down. The, the, the story of Rahab and these spies. We got, we got verses? Let's see. I think so. Hold on. Boom. We're in business. Okay, good. Let's give it up for our production team, by the way. Great. Great recovery. That was clutch. Love that. Let's see if we can uh, recapitulate here. Okay, boom. Uh, Rahab's encounter in this, in this passage is an encounter between her faith and God's faithfulness. So this is kind of the, the overview of Rahab's encounter with God, um, which is really the, the joy that we're all invited into. Our faith meeting God's faithfulness and vice versa. This is an encounter, again, that changed her life. Um, so let's take a look at this. I want us to just kind of walk through the passage here and do sort of a flyover of this encounter she has and her faith that she displays. And uh, we'll, we'll then kind of come back around and kind of reflect on some of the key points of observation that we see in her faith. But uh, remember, here's our verse. Here, here's kind of the context that sets it all up. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. This is the, the sort of synopsis of her encounter. We find it in Joshua 2. Would you turn there with me? Joshua chapter 2. Joshua 2. If you're not there yet, go ahead and go there. Joshua 2. So here we are in Joshua 2, 40 years after Israel has wandered through the wilderness because of their unbelief in God. Uh, power has changed hands. Moses has passed off his leadership of Israel to his son in the faith, his, his kind of mentee, Joshua. 
Joshua has been commissioned by God to lead the people into the promised land. And Israel at this point is camping, chilling on the west side of the Jordan River with the promised land, and listen closely, and specifically the city of Jericho in their sights. They can see it from where they are. More importantly, Jericho can see Israel from where they are. I wonder if they're seeing this like pillar of fire rising up from the camp. I mean, kind of a crazy thing to imagine. But this is the promised land. And they're about to step into all that God has promised for them, even despite their own disobedience and unbelief. And it tells us this is kind of the plan of entry. It begins with a reconnaissance mission that Joshua employs. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. It, this is kind of reminiscent, isn't it, of Numbers chapter 13, when Moses also sent out some spies, but it was to Israel's downfall. Uh, Moses doesn't send them out secretly. Moses sends them out publicly. He doesn't send out 12 spies. He, or sorry, he doesn't send out two spies. He sends out 12 spies. As those 12 spies return, they were supposed to go into the land, survey it, and bring back a report. And as they return, the vast majority of these spies don't bring a report of faith and optimism. That's just two of them. Majority of them bring a report of fear. Instead of seeing the opportunities, they saw the threats. And they bring that, that report, and this is what leads to Israel's wandering and unbelief. And, um, and so it's interesting. It's almost like Joshua, who was actually one of the two spies that brought a positive report, he's like, we're not sending 12. Okay? The more we send, it's like, it's, it's, it's like the more people you get around a problem, the more freakout happens, go figure. So let's kind of start with a couple men of faith who can, who can inspire faith in others. Isn't that amazing how God does that? He starts with like a few. And so Joshua goes, we're going to send out two spies, and they're going to go secretly. So we're going to find out these, these spies are, are specially chosen. I, I'm not, I don't mean to judge them. I'm not a spy, okay? I'm not. I promise. <laughs> I don't know why I had to say that. Um, in case you were unsure, right? But they, they don't do so well. They blow their cover quickly. I don't know if they're like wearing like the glasses and mustache thing, like we're, we're not spies. What's your name, you know? I don't know what led to this, but nonetheless, they send them in, they go in, and they come to lodge at the house of a harlot named Rahab. Now, if you don't understand some context here, maybe you're asking yourself some questions, like, why did they go there? <laughs> I don't remember Joshua saying that. Like, we'll go to the land. You got it. We'll spy out. We're going we're gonna to begin our spy mission here. It's like, okay. Now, that can look a little shady. Um, some people have, with their own bias, in, in sort of imposed sin upon these men and upon Rahab, but there's no indication of that. In fact, in that cultural setting, this is a very common um, way for a foreigner to dwell in a foreign land. This is a kind of a, a common thing. It wasn't just a, as we would call, a whorehouse. That's not what this was. This was a, a lodge. Uh, Rahab has many other trades, and so they're welcomed in to lodge there. It, it's kind of a common thing. Many men would come in, and they would get kind of room and board and Unfortunately, some horrible services as well. But this was, a, this was a normal practice, kind of like this was, I guess, the best thing they had, closest thing they had to Airbnb back then, was Rahab being like, come on, lights on. 
It's important to also mention that this was a very tactical way for them to blend in. You know, rather than kind of sleeping, hiding behind something, they're just kind of coming in um, and, and doing the, the, the normal thing that maybe a foreigner would do. Despite their attempt and their tactics to blend in, it tells us in the next verse that it was told to the king of Jericho saying, like this is, we don't know what happened, but behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. That's, that stinks. Their cover's just immediately blown. We, we don't know how it happens, but somehow they get found out immediately. Uh, and king gets word, not only that they're there, but who they are, where they're from, and why they're there. Okay? Not, maybe it's the only spies. They, like, we just the only spies we got. Just go. Just try. And so, nonetheless, here's what ends up happening. The king sends word to Rahab and says, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. So they go to Rahab's house and they say, you know, kind of bring them out. You're sheltering, you know, enemies of the state. Bring them out here. It says, then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Okay, Rahab is lying. She's lying, lying for the Lord here, okay? We'll talk about that, all right? She goes, I, I, don't, I don't know who they are. I, I don't know where I'm from. She hides them before infrared and helicopters. They could just go right up on the roof. She hit, hides them in the stalks of the flax, and, and she lies about knowing who they are or where they're from. She goes, I, I don't know. They came to me, but I don't know where they're from or who they are or anything, which isn't true. Um, it says, and it happened as the gate was being shut while it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. She's like, I don't even know where they went. I don't know who they are, where they went. And so she's just amazing. She hides them. She's like, I think they went that way. Like a classic snipe hunt, right? You know what that is? Go find a wild goose chase. So he sends the, she sends the spies running in the, the wrong direction on, an, on a wild goose chase. And... It says, but she brought them up, you know, but she brought them up on the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax. It says, then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who had pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So now they can't get out. They're stuck up on the roof. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land that the terror of, of you has fallen on us. So she clearly knows who they are and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, look at this profession of faith, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. This is the, the keeper of the house. This is Rahab the harlot making this statement. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also show, me, show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father. Wait, am I off? 
And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So she kind of makes this bargain. She goes, listen, I recognize who you are. I recognize who the one true God of the world, of heaven and earth is. He's your God. I've seen what he's done for you. And instead of pledging allegiance to your enemy, to the world, I'm serving you, and I'm asking that in exchange, you swear to me, And when you encircle these walls, she doesn't say that exactly, but when you show up at our doorstep in a few days' time, would you spare my life? She's trusting in God for her salvation. Would you preserve me and all of my family as well? So the men answered her and said, Our lives for yours. And if if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope. This is an epic scene here as they kind of cascade and rappel down from these. Jericho had about 30-foot to 40-foot high walls on the exterior. They had two walls, an inner wall and an outer wall. This is a heavily fortified city. Rahab's house, the Bible says, is on the wall. And she is now having them kind of rappel down from this outer wall, 30 to 40 feet down. The wall's about 10 feet wide. And this is kind of the, the escape plan as she's already sent the, uh, the soldiers the opposite direction to find them in the dark. And so she lends them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, go to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear. Unless when we come into the land, here's the the sort of conditions of the agreement here, of her salvation. When we come into the land, you need to bind this scarlet cord. This is a blood red scarlet cord that she's, that she's letting them down the window uh, with. And she must bind that cord. We see this, it's been called, you might have heard, the scarlet cord, that, the scarlet thread that runs all throughout the ages, all throughout the scriptures. It, most, if, if, every, if not every case of salvation like this, an agreement between God's people and a pagan involves salvation through some symbol of the scarlet cord, whether it's blood red on the doorpost or, or it's here. We see this example of this symbol of salvation that she was to obey, trusting in that picture of the blood. If she binds it in the window through which you let us down, and the other thing, and make sure you keep everybody in your house, in your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the streets, don't go get the paper, don't go do anything. Let the grass, don't mow it, okay? His blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if the hand is laid on him. So we're going to, here's the conditions. We will save you and your family's life when we come around to take down Jericho, as long as you keep yourself in the house and bind this red scarlet cord outside of your window. And if, don't tell anybody about this business, okay? Keep it between you and I, no snitches, because you get stitches, all right? If you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from this oath that we made with you. Now she says, notice her heart, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain. They crossed back over the Jordan. They came to Joshua, the son of Nun. They told them all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. And I just love, as as the spies return, they're bringing a report of faith. 
They're, they're not coming back going, Joshua, the walls are huge. Joshua, we're severely outnumbered. God uses this woman Rahab to inspire the hearts of God's people. They come back with a report of faith, and they say, Joshua, I love this. The Lord has delivered the land into our hands. It's, it's past tense, even though it hasn't happened yet. This is a foregone conclusion, okay? What God says is going to happen, you might as well act like it's past tense, okay? It, it's, it's that true. It's that real. A future event being spoken of almost in past tense terms because of how faithful God is to his word. Now, what's amazing again about this story is this unlikely character within the walls, Rahab. As the story goes on and Israel does encircle the walls of Jericho, we studied that last week, so we're kind of going back to go forward. Rahab and her family have that scarlet cord bound in her window, symbolizing the hope of her salvation, that blood-red cord. And Rahab and her family are spared. They are saved. And Rahab's life is completely transformed because of this encounter. Because of this moment. Well, as I mentioned earlier, this is an encounter in this story that we just saw between Rahab's faith and God's faithfulness. We see Rahab exercising faith in a God that she didn't grow up learning about. She's a pagan idol worshiper by culture. She is a part of a community that represents opposition to God. And yet even in that culture, even in that upbringing, even in that background, she displays great faith in God. And her faith in God in receiving those spies is met with God's faithfulness. This is true for any of us that put our faith and trust in God. When we bring our faith to God, God meets us and outmatches us with faithfulness. And so again, this is what's true about Rahab's story. I want us to kind of go back. We just saw this story, and let's see a couple things about Rahab's faith that, that we also can learn from, from as we seek to also actively encounter God. One of the first things we see from Rahab's faith is a faith that receives. This is what her faith enabled her to do. Rahab models a faith that receives when she gets the knock at the door from the Lord. <laughs> Uh, this kind of faith that receives is actually, do you remember? This is what Hebrews is highlighting. Our key verse in Hebrews says that by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. Here's her faith when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab here in this story and what's being highlighted here as the, listen, as the hope of her salvation she models what we'll call spiritual reception. Faith that is willing to open up our hearts and allow God in to receive what the Lord is doing. This is, by the way, so difficult for us sometimes to posture with in our hearts. This is a hard place to be because everything about our flesh and everything about our culture is driven with a purpose that, that's geared towards our own achievements, right? Like what we can achieve rather than what we can receive. It's all about achieving things for yourself. Achieving the, the goals that you have at work. Achieving the family that you want to have. Achieving whatever it is. We, you know, we get into the new year and we're like, we need some new things to achieve. I need to achieve. And we can be so achievement-minded that we aren't those who are receiving what God has for us, which is actually the economy of the kingdom. The economy of the Christian faith is 
You're not right with God based upon your ability to achieve. You're right with God based on your willingness to receive. To say, Lord, here am I. I'm not resisting. I'm willing to receive what you have. Rahab models this. This is her faith. She gets to knock at the door, and as a, as a gesture of hospitality, she knows that these guys represent God, and she invites them in. Uh, to me, I'm reminded of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Jesus, uh, it's said about Christ that he came to his own. This is Christmas time. We celebrate Jesus coming. God comes to his own. He's not even a foreigner. He's coming to his own people. This is God being raised, Jesus being raised in the Jewish culture. He comes to his own, and his own do not receive him. It's the opposite of Rahab. It's rejection. It's a sense of dejection. It's saying, God, I don't want you have. I'd rather have what I want. But notice this incredible promise. But as many as have received him, no matter who you are or where you're from, you and Rahab alike, if you would just be willing to receive God, receive what he has for you, Specifically, receiving his salvation through his son, Jesus. Kind of moving away from achieving your righteousness and achieving forgiveness and achieving God's love. If you just were to move to receiving, as many as who would receive Jesus, to them we receive the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So, so what an incredible display. Rahab's salvation, our salvation is not connected to our ability to achieve, but our willingness to receive from God. A question I would have you ask this morning is, what have you been struggling, let's kind of make this personal, to receive from the Lord? Where is there a fight that you're putting up in your relationship with God? It could be you just need to get off the achievement train, and you need to come back to the fact where you go, I have nothing God, I have nothing. All I can do is come to you with empty hands, which is a great place to start because then you're able to receive. Here I am, Lord. Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But, but think more broadly. Think more specifically even to your own life. What have you been struggling to receive from the Lord? How can the faith of Rahab encourage you to when the Lord knocks on your door and he has something for you, you receive with meekness, what he has. That, that, that's actually straight out of James chapter 1. I love this encouragement in James 1. The context of this is James telling Christians, you've got to have ears to hear what God says to you. You've got to hear it first. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. But it's not enough to just come into church to have a general relation with God where you hear the things about God. You know what's amazing? What we see from Rahab here is that the entire nation of Jericho had heard things about God. They heard what he did for Israel with the Red Sea. They, they had some understanding about who God is and what he's done, but the next step from hearing is, okay, but now are you willing to receive? Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word of God which is able to save your souls. You see, our tendency is to want to reject what God is giving us because we think we know better and we can sometimes imagine God as being someone who just is like, receive it, like, you know, trying to force a kid to eat their vegetables or something. Like, come on, you know, take it. But, but notice God's heart here. He wants us to receive because he knows what's best for us. He's like, no. My heart for you in receiving what I have is because I know you better than you know you. I know your life better than you know your life. And I have plans for you that you could never dream up on your own. So Rahab's a great picture of that. So again, this word receive, it's really interesting here in, in verse 21. It's, it literally means to welcome 
like a guest into your home. That's what this word means. It's like when it comes to your relationship with God, be like Rahab. When you get the knock at the door, don't look out the window and be like, oh, the Mormons are here. No, I'm not, okay? When the Lord knocks out your door, swing the door wide open, trusting that whatever he has for you is better than whatever you could try to achieve from your salvation to his grace alike. Here's a couple of things that maybe you can think of in terms of what you need to receive from God. Maybe it starts here. Maybe it's God's word. Maybe you have been struggling. You hear God's truth in God's word, but maybe there's things in your heart that are kind of affecting how you receive it. And you go, I don't like that. It's just, I'm struggling to trust that. What would humility to receive that look like? Believing that he knows better. Maybe it's, here's a big one. Maybe you've been struggling to receive his answer to your prayer. And you're like, no, I'm not going to receive it. I'm going to keep asking, seeking, knocking, asking. You shall receive what you want, right? Isn't that how it goes? And maybe where you're at, and listen, every situation is different. So you may be in a situation where like, you, you shouldn't be content with what, where your life is at. But it could be that you've prayed for something. And the reason why God hasn't answered is because he hasn't answered it the way you're expecting him to. Maybe he said, right now, I'm trusting you with this. Don't fight it. You'll find me as you receive it. A lot of us are praying for a different marriage. <laughs> but God wants you to receive the marriage you have as it is and bring it to him. What else could you be rejecting that God's saying receive? What is his answer? Maybe, can I give you something a little bit more simple? Maybe you're struggling to receive his love for you. Maybe that's what you struggle to do. You struggle to receive love that you don't earn. And maybe you tend to treat people that way. You only love people who have earned your love, and so you project that upon God. So God comes to you and he says, hey, I love you. And you go, why? What did I do? He goes, nothing. In fact, let's not get into what you do. I love you because I'm love. I love you because I love you. I love you because you're mine. Receive his love. God, would you soften our hearts to stop achieving for your love and start receiving your love? Maybe what God is seeking for you to receive from him is just his strength. You go, I'm willing to receive God's strength. Well, then why are you trying to do it on your own so much? How are you coming before him and actually asking that? Rahab models faith that receives. Write this next one down. We also see that she models faith that risks. Rahab's, she, man, she was risky. She brings in enemies of the state. She shelters them. She hides to these officials. And then she, she hides the spies from the officials. Then she lies to them. So it's just an incredible moment, right, when they knock on the door and say, Rahab, where's the spies? And that's like the deciding, the value of decision there. Like, choose you this day whose side you're going to take. You could either take the side of the officials and you could be like Judas and betray the Lord and betray the spies, which is a great sin. Or either, the, you, have, you know, this is where she's faced. She's faced with either, she's faced with two sins. Betray the Lord or lie. By the way, I don't know if, let me just back up. I've like had conversations with people. This is a passage a lot of people go to to try to justify when is lying okay. And I would just say, like, maybe we don't use the example of a prostitute. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Maybe this isn't the one. This is how we know what to do when we're in a sticky situation. Look at Rahab the, pro- the prostitute. Come on, like chill, okay? Like maybe this isn't the example that to try to navigate those tough situations. Nonetheless, Rahab's in a place where she goes, I can either lie the lesser sin or I can betray the Lord, the greater sin. She chooses the lesser sin. She lies. She, she shelters the spies. She lies about where they are. We don't know if this is something that God commends and is proud of. We don't know if there's another way to do this, but this is what happened. She's, just, she's doing her best to navigate this difficult situation. Nonetheless, her decision, here's what you have to acknowledge, it required a risk. She is risking her life by lying to these officials to preserve the lives of two men she just met. Why? Because of her faith in God. Because she knows that God is on the side of these men. So, so what a great display of what faith should look like. Oh, can I just, like, I don't know how else to say this except, like, following Jesus um, not only should involve risks, but is a risk. Following Jesus is filled with all sorts of risks. Jesus made this, like, really clear for those of us that don't want any risk in our life. I want my knee pads on, you know, I want, I want my helmet on. I want to be very, I've got to be comfortable. You know, in life, the only time we... We come to face-to-face with risks. We're trying to negotiate them, right? Like in business, how do we avoid the risk here? Okay, what's the... In our whole lives, we're programmed to avoid risk at all costs. We're programmed to, to play it safe. I got to play it safe. And, and Jesus comes on the scene, and here's what he says to his followers. He, he's kind of bold about it. He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But Jesus is like, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You've got to be willing to let go of your life and let the Lord be the one who backs you up. That's safety. That's the, I'm not saying, by the way, be foolish. This is, but this is nothing to do with COVID, by the way. Because you're like, yeah, man. No, okay. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about. I'm talking about your spiritual life. I'm talking about how you navigate what you're navigating right now. How you tend to approach your relation with God and your discipleship to Jesus. Is your relationship with Jesus really just limited to you trying to mitigate every risk in your life? Or are you like Rahab, this faith that goes, God, you're so true that I'm willing to risk it all. I'm not afraid to risk my reputation. Because you're God, I'm going to follow you. I'm not afraid to risk my comfort. God, I'm even, here's a big one. God, I'm even willing to risk my plan. I'll risk it. Because you're God. You're God, and, and you're, worth, you're worth risking everything for. In fact, it's not a risk with you. It's true life to give it all up to you. There's this great verse in the book of Acts where Paul talks about these men, I love this, simply, who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. Like, I want that to be said about me. I'm not saying, like, go find a way to get hurt or something. Like, I'm not saying walk a tightrope, put yourself in harm's way. And t- that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a kind of life that's willing to do the hard thing that's in front of us no matter the cost. That's what Rahab did. She risked that. Live that kind of life that's willing to follow despite the risks. She also models, write this down, a faith that recognizes. We see her faith receiving. We see her faith risking. And boy, oh boy, is Rahab an example of faith that recognizes. And I mean like really, truly recognizes who God is, really, truly. What an interesting contrast, as Rahab is describing to these spies that she's sheltering, what she and the people of her city 
have come to recognize about the God of Israel. Notice the, the corporate language she's using. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and the terror of you has fallen on us. The whole nation of Jericho had recognized, I think this is the, the one, this God, he's the creator God, who's God of heaven and earth. So much so that they look on at the miracles he's performing for Israel. They look on it at Israel's exodus and deliverance from Egypt. They look on at even the graciousness that they, I mean, they know the graciousness that God has shown Egypt. But they're, they're living in terror. So here's the recognition. They're terrified of what they know about the God of Israel. And all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Now, this could be a good fear of the Lord, but it's, it's not. It goes on to say, For we, corporate language, all the nation has heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. God dried it up for you when you came out of Egypt. And, and, and also, we've heard about what you do to your enemies. We, we've heard that you guys don't really take a lot of else. We've heard that. We're scared of you guys. And, and as soon as we heard these things, the truth be told, our whole nation, because we, rec we, we together recognized who your God is, our hearts melted. And nobody... <laughs> All the courage that we all had, nope, gone, no more. Here's her recognition. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. Now, listen. I don't want to just focus on Rahab's recognition. What makes Rahab's recognition so special is how similar it seems to the people of Jericho's recognition. They're all recognizing these things. In fact, they are so, like, they have faith in God. So much so that they're trembling. They're terrified. By the way, this is, in the Bible, you know what this is called? Faith that believes in God, sees him, knows what he does, knows what he said, and faith that even fears. Let me put this at the end of it, but doesn't actually submit to God. There's a difference there. This in the Bible is actually demonic faith. Demonic faith. It's the book of James. You believe that there is one God, and he's done all these things for Israel, and he's, he's, he, you know, he, he parts the seas, and he beats his enemies, and, and you know what he said, and you know what he's promised, and you grew up in church your whole life. You believe. Even the demons believe and know who God is. And, like the Jericonians, whatever their, their name really is, like them, the demons, what? tremble. But that's not faith. <laughs> that's not what Rahab sets herself apart. She doesn't just know. This is faith. Faith isn't just knowing these things about God and recognizing them. The proof of your faith is how you act. It's how you live. It's if you submit. It's if you surrender. No one's going to be saved by their intellectual recognitions. Saving faith is not about filling our mind containers with information about the gospel. It's a submission of the heart to what you know to be true. It's saying, God, you are this, and I'm going to bow to this. That's what Rahab did. Set her apart from every other group of people who were, like, terrified. I remember as a kid growing up, like, you know, kind of big, heavy, like, rapture theology culture growing up. Like, just being terrified of the rapture. God, I, I don't want to be Kirk Cameron, Lord. 
please, God. But can I tell you something? In my mind, my heart, I was terrified, but I wasn't submitted to God. My heart was still resistant. It's amazing how much you, can, you know. You can know so much that you're afraid of the consequences of not submitting to it, and still you don't submit to God. Even the demons believe and tremble. But, but James goes on to say this. You know what's great in James? You know, what he, you know who he uses as a good example of faith? Rahab. I thought you would yell it out with me. Okay. Do you, want, do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Great. You recognize these things like the entire group of people. But, but notice Rahab the harlot, who was justified by her work, she displayed her faith in action when she received the messengers and sent them another way. That's recognizing God. I recognize him enough to take him at his word with how I live my life. I don't just settle for comfortable acknowledgments. Jesus said they acknowledge me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. So this is a question of your heart. This is a question of what only God can see. What type of recognition does your faith make? Do you acknowledge him with your mind and your lips, or have you worshipped him and surrendered to him with your very heart? Lastly, we'll close with this. Invite the band to come up. It's faith that reckons. This is where Rahab leads us. This is what Hebrews ultimately highlights about Rahab. Rahab calculated, she, she reckoned. To reckon is to be a country boy, but it's also, it's also to reckon is to calculate. It's to conclude, it's to draw a conclusion, it's to say, so here's Rahab. She receives them, she makes a big risk, she hides them, she lies. She, rec- she does all this because she recognizes who the one true living God is, it provokes her actions. Provokes her action. And then she goes, I need your God to save me. You, I, I'm concluding here that I, I'm, I'm not going to trust in man. I'm not going to trust, trust in Jericho when you guys come to do battle. I'm not even going to trust in my, myself. Here's what, what Rahab does. She so recognizes that God is her Savior that she's willing to receive his salvation in the form of something unique, like the scarlet cord representing the blood of Jesus, a great picture of the gospel for us as well, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And the way that he did that, the Bible says this way that he did this, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Here's how God in his wisdom decided to save you and me. He said, I am going to take your sin on myself on a cross. There's nothing you could do to earn my love. There's nothing you can do. You can't work hard enough, fight hard enough. The hope of your salvation lies nowhere within you. It's only if God were a savior and would send his son to be our salvation. And we could, like Rahab, receive that salvation and be saved. You know, the, the results, the life of Rahab's faith is what's amazing. But what is the point of this story? It's about an encounter between someone's faith and God's faithfulness. When you look back, you know, when you're looking forward at the story, you see a lot of Rahab, but when you read the Bible backwards, you see a whole lot of God. <laughs> you see God's faithfulness mightily at work in just a little display of faith like this woman. The results of Rahab's faith, these three of many things that Rahab experiences as a result of her faith in God, she's rescued. 
She says, I'm going to reckon that God is the Savior, so I'm, I'm going to trust his salvation. And he says, that's through a scarlet red cord. That's through the blood of Jesus. I'm going to trust in him. And, and Rahab, when you follow the story, she's rescued. She's rescued from the destruction that was to come. This is what we also want to be able to say about our own lives. Um, so, first and foremost, you don't need to just be renovated. You don't just need 10 steps to a better life. You need to be rescued because of sin. That's what, you know, Christmas is cute, it's great, it's a baby, it's all, you know. Christmas is about God rescuing hell-bound sinners. Christmas is about a God that saves and rescues those who could never save themselves. Rahab. Anybody been rescued by Jesus? I'm just curious. Rescued by the love of God. Rescued by the salvation of God. Rescued. When's the last time you just stopped and went, God, thank you for rescuing me. <laughs> you know, there was no way for me to swim to shore. God, you're the coast guard that dives into my dead body floating there in the waters and you rescue me, Lord. From my sin, from death. What's really cool about Rahab is she isn't just rescued, but she also, she's received. She's received. You know, most of the message today was about you receiving God. Can I tell you what the gospel is? God receives you. You know what Rahab does? She removes any excuse that you may have about yourself for why God wouldn't accept you. Why God could never receive you how you've made yourself unreceivable because of this, because of that. And here's Rahab, received into the family of God, received into fellowship with God, received into the hall of faith. It's awesome. Abraham isn't any more accepted than Rahab because of Jesus. And Rahab isn't any less accepted because she was a harlot. Whatever that thing is that goes before your name, stop disqualifying yourself from what Jesus qualified you for. Ultimately, the story of Rahab is a story of restoration. She's brought into the family of God. and I wonder if, through her fellowship with God's people, if she begins to open up and share more of her story. You, you know, we, we don't have a commentary built into the Bible. All we have is Rahab the harlot. And maybe with our cultural backgrounds and really our lack of sensitivity and compassion and understanding, we could look on at her as just this filthy sinner rebelling against God. And God saved a rebel like Rahab. But stop for a second and think about the fact that there was a time when Rahab was someone's seven-year-old girl. You know, no seven-year-old girl says, when I grow up, I want to be a harlot. None of you have said the things that you and I have become. None of us said, I want to grow up and become these errors. But likely in that culture, you have a couple things going on. Either number one, there are just some real demonic influences at play that lead to Rahab being enslaved in this way in a culture without the Lord. Or another main thing is her family was just really poor. Because of sin and brokenness, Rahab is now a vessel for male pleasure. She's a slave to sin. 
And so how beautiful is it that God says, that's the one I'm going to rescue. That's the one I'm going to receive. And I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to restore Rahab's life. You see, every person in this room, you have, you have really two identities, like Rahab. You have who you are in Adam, who you are in sin. Come on, we all know it. The worst things about you. Who you are in Adam. And then we all have, like Rahab, we have this other identity, this other opportunity. It's who we become in God. Who we are in Him. The scripture says who we are in Christ. And these are competing identities. Because the call of the New Testament is leave behind your old identity. It's not who you are anymore. And the call of the gospel is come be restored. Come be defined not by what you've done, whether good or bad, but come be defined by the love of Jesus. Come be new in me. For if anyone is in Christ, even Rahab, she's a new creation. You know, it's perfect. It's Christmas time. Did you know that Rahab is central to the Christmas story? Did you know that? How far does Rahab's redemption and restoration go? In other words, how awesome is God? When you get to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, and Matthew is writing to the Jewish community, and he's, and he's trying to get to the birth of Jesus, right? But Jesus to the Jews, he, he can't just be the Son of God. No, this is, he's a Jewish child. He, he's got a lineage. This is the, the, the Jewish Messiah. So, so Matthew is tracing back Jesus' genealogy. And he gets to David, right? If you're in, da I mean, the line of David, the dynasty of David. But, but Matthew takes it back a little further, and he goes, I, I want to highlight to everyone in this Christmas season, I want to highlight to you who the great-great-grandmother of David is. And it's Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And it tells us that Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. This prostitute, that's who she was. No, 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 that's not who you are anymore. I'm going to use your life now. You're gonna, I'm making you clean. You're a woman through which the Messiah will come. Holy cow. I'm going to so redeem and clean up and restore your life that you're going to have a great, great grandson named King David. He's going he's to be a man after my own heart. They're gonna, and David is going to know who I am because of what I've done in your life. And through your line and through your lineage, Rahab, Solus Church will be celebrating Christmas in 2021 and they'll be seeing your name in the genealogy. How amazing is God? Now listen, here's where we close. If this is what God can do with Rahab, what does he want to do with you? What can he do with you? At the bare minimum, he wants to receive you as you are. He wants to rescue you, and he wants to restore you to a new identity in him. So whatever it is you're celebrating this time of year, this special Christmas season, our prayer is that first and foremost, you would be receptive to the love of God that's come through Jesus, that you would learn to follow him despite what risks may come, that you would truly recognize who he is in the deepest parts of you to where you're provoked to live accordingly. And that you would reckon that he is the savior of all mankind. You put your trust in him.